Well, good morning, friends. Please turn, if you see on the back of the order of service, you'll see that this morning we start in Ephesians. So please grab your Bibles. And it is on page 976, if you've got the Visitor's Bible. This morning we begin in chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to 14. Um, But first, why don't I pray for us? Father, we thank you for your word. We we thank you for this letter. Um, I pray that my weakness would not get in the way of your word this morning and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us all and that we would come to love Christ more and more. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Well, if you've uh, never spent much time in Ephesians and you feel like this passage is quite overwhelming, well, that's okay. Because in a sense, that is the reaction Paul is looking for. Not because he's just a big show-off, but because the gospel is overwhelming. And yet, all too often, the Christian life can be so underwhelming. Don't you find that with the Christian life? Is your personal walk with Jesus one impressive, glorious day after another? 
Is our church faultless and perfect in every way? How often does praying lead to an extraordinary miracle? At the last gospel outreach event, did everyone leave buzzing and full of hunger for Christ? When was the last time that non-Christians were so happy with your Christian ministry that they made life as easy for you as possible? How often does a friend or neighbor say, yes, I'd love to come to church with you? Simply put, what we see with our eyes and experience as the the church of Christ just doesn't feel much like the victorious, magnificent gospel. So the question that enters our minds is, is this what being a Christian should look like? Brothers and sisters, we know that the gospel is outrageously exciting and fantastic, but the Christian life just feels so underwhelming at times. In fact, it's underwhelming at the best of times and usually overwhelming because it can be so painful, disappointing, sometimes scary and upsetting. And so Paul holds up this glorious presentation of the overwhelming gospel in his opening to this letter because he knows how tough, how disappointing and conflictive life as a Christian can be. He wants to elevate our thoughts. He wants to excite our tired and bruised hearts. He wants to startle and to snatch us away from the ordinary and underwhelming lives of faithful perseverance and take us to the lofty heights of the gospel. And that's my my great hope and prayer this morning, that the Spirit would work to elevate our minds and hearts to the glorious gospel of our salvation. For my part in that, I think it will be helpful to consider the gospel in four moments. So point one then on the sermon outline, looking at verses one to six, in Christ we are chosen so we can be holy and blameless. The first gospel moment is about going back to the very beginning, the beginning of the gospel being before the foundations of the world, when God chose us in Christ. When we think of being saved, a lot of people think of, of their moment of being saved. It's quite a popular way of speaking about salvation as a a moment of conversion. But what Paul very helpfully does in these verses is allow us to see that it goes way back and beyond any moment that we had in our experience where we said yes to Christ. The Father has blessed us in Christ before we were even born, before he even created anything he chose us, and decided and desired to adopt us as his children. The gospel at its very beginning is the church being blessed, chosen, and adopted in his son, Jesus Christ. Look down with me again at verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, 
he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In both verses 2 and 3, Paul holds up this distinction between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The origin of the gospel can be found in this love, the love the Father has for his Son, Jesus Christ. The Father chose us, he predestined us for adoption by choosing and adopting us as children in his Son, and this is the real blessing. The real blessing is that God was willing to give himself for us. God was willing before he created anything to give his son so that he could bring us into the family of God. This sacrificial and gracious love of the Father, this is in the context of predestination. The Father does not offer a possibility of salvation through Jesus Christ, but has actually chosen us for adoption and sets in motion the gospel before laying down the foundations of the world. Over many years, people have spoken about adoption as if it's, if it's just a status, like a piece of paper declaring who we are. And that is true. We are declared holy and blameless, verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him. It does become our new status, but it means so much more than just a status or a piece of paper. Before we were even born, God committed himself to being our father and for us to be his children. Before God created anything, he committed himself to providing for us, caring for us, with a love that is immeasurable, without borders, infinite in size. This love of the Father is overwhelming, unimaginable, but it really is the love the Father has for the Son. The love between the Father and the Son is perfect and infinite, and so when the Father chose us in Christ, he is inviting us and enveloping us into this incredible love where we can come before him as holy and blameless. Now, for some people thinking about the Father choosing them outside of time before they were born will be entirely new and perhaps quite strange. Like I said, it's quite common to think that we need this one conversion moment, and, and that's fine because um, that does happen for people, that can be our experience, but it's so important to remember it's just one angle, one perspective of our salvation. I thought perhaps this illustration uh, might be helpful. Uh, a few weeks ago I, I went to collect Mia from nursery, and when you walk into the room there's this fence and you see all the kids playing. Uh, and there she was, Mia had her back to me playing, and uh, I stood there, and as I saw Mia uh, with her back to me, I was just filled with this love for her as I was, as I was watching her. And then eventually Mia turned round, uh, and for her, in that moment, it's like I had just turned up, and she crawled to me uh, across the floor and, and put her arms out. 
And I think when we come to Jesus and we finally love God, from our perspective, it's, it's like it's just in that moment he's turned up. But actually, for, from God's perspective, he has long been waiting for that moment, long before we realized it. So what a huge comfort it is then for Christians who see nothing but disappointment, heartache and failure, to know that God has had their backs since forever. What a huge support to know that behind the scenes, in the invisible realm, things haven't fallen apart. In fact, although what is visible seems often divided and uncertain, there is unity and certainty in the invisible realm for the church chosen and predestined before the foundations of the world in Christ. Now, as we go through the letter, um, as, I come to, as I preach it, we'll unpack the reasons Paul is, is writing this letter specifically to the Ephesians. But I will say this morning that Paul's experience of doing ministry and, and life in, in Ephesus was very, very formative for him. It was very formative to his mindset about, about the Christian life and influ- influential about the things that he was pastorally concerned with and things that he needed to tell people. And the big thing that he experienced was conflict. Conflict that causes doubt. Conflict that will crack and divide the unity of the church. Which will lead people away from the gospel that they once knew at first. And perhaps all sorts of manner of problems will crop up. And what we'll see throughout Ephesians is that when people's value and understanding of the gospel fades away, they forget that they are set apart to be holy and blameless, chosen in Christ. And in fact, they start to live like they don't know him at all. The first gospel moment, friends, reminds us that we don't just know God, but our salvation is rooted in eternity. And our identity is to be holy and blameless as children of God, chosen in Christ. This is God's will to the praise of his glorious grace, that he has blessed us in the beloved. These are our roots and should help us stand strong in any storm, be it conflict, temptation, division, or just the very typical feeling of being underwhelmed by what it looks like to be the church. Look at me. Am I really set apart to be holy and blameless before the Lord? Based on the very tired and weak face that I see every morning in the mirror, I would probably say no. But Paul reminds us that actually yes, But how can we be so sure? Well, because of the second gospel moment. In Christ we are forgiven, so we receive and are changed by the blessing. In the second gospel moment, we go to the moment when the Son took for himself a human body and soul at the incarnation. Here we consider how God accomplished this plan of salvation. God the Father has blessed us by choosing us in the Son, a choice 
made before the foundations of the world, but in our lifetimes we must seek to answer the call. Though we are chosen, we, are, we must seek him and ask for forgiveness. Paul makes this point in verse 7, that though we are chosen, in Christ we need Christ's blood for redemption. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Friends, this is the way the church becomes who God has chosen her to be. Through the redeeming blood of Christ. This is how you and me become the people God has chosen us to be. Holy and blameless before him. As children who he loves. In eternity, God chose his church in Christ. When Christ took on flesh and paid the price for sinful humanity... God redeemed his chosen people, making known to us the way in which he would accomplish, verse 10, his plan to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. It is only through the blood of Jesus, only through his death, can anyone be adopted by God as his children. Only through the blood of Jesus can anyone receive the riches of his grace, to be lavished upon them. He is the only way to become a member of this family, of this body, of this temple, of this church. Our regular teaching on a a Sunday morning has been in John's Gospel, and what a joy it has been these past couple of weeks in chapter 6. One of the things we heard Jesus say was this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. God the Father has sent the Son who took a body for himself and then put to death, taking our sin into the grave and then Christ was raised up to sit at the right hand of the Father So that when we come to him, feed on his flesh and drink his blood, we engraft ourselves into his body, abide in him. We become those adopted children, cleansed, blessed, set apart to be holy and blameless by God to the praise of his glory. Now this is perhaps the more familiar part of the gospel for most of us. It's such a vital and fundamental thing to know, and yet it's so easy to forget. The most memorable person you'll ever know in your life, and yet the history of the church shows us that time and time again, people look to move on from Christ's crucified body. Later on in in chapter 2 of the letter, we pick up the classic Jew versus Gentile problem the circumcision versus the uncircumcision. In other words, the authentic old school, the real deal, versus the newbies, the uninitiated. Paul reminds them that in Christ is who they are, forgiven by his blood. Christ has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He has created in himself one new man, in the place 
of the two, no longer strangers or aliens, but members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone. The oneness of God's people in Christ is the real beauty that comes forward about, uh, comes, comes about the, the gospel in Ephesians. And it's all by the work of God, Christ's work at the cross, incorporating all who believe into himself. Within this family, there is no authentic old school versus the ones who need to earn their way into the fold because all the redeemed people of the church are lavished in God's grace. The blood given by, by Christ that we drink is the power to receive the blessings of the gospel. It's the only way we are to be changed and transformed, to become the children of God who are holy and blameless before him. Because it is something God did, we can be so certain that that person we see in the mirror each morning does come before God and is holy and blameless. As we now consider the final two gospel moments, we rejoice in the knowledge that what is true of everything we've said so far is completely, utterly locked as ours forever by the Holy Spirit. Point three, in Christ we are sealed, so we have a guaranteed future inheritance. In verses 11 to 14, here we have the third and fourth gospel moment as the same thing, but in a now and not yet situation. The third gospel moment is when, the, when salvation is actually applied to those who believe and accept the call of God. At this moment, God's Spirit draws us into the body of Christ, united with Christ in body and soul for eternity. Look down with me at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The fourth gospel moment is when in the future all things will come to realization. And by the Spirit, we can be fully certain that such a future will come to pass. Verse 14. The Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Later in Ephesians, Paul will use several images to portray the oneness, the unity of the church. He speaks of the church as a temple. In chapter 2, verse 22, he says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We receive the Spirit when we hear and accept the gospel. And the Spirit is the seal that locks us tight into Christ, an unbreakable seal, and a guarantee that one day after death, 
we will acquire possession of the fullness of blessings to the praise of God's glory. One of the ways I believe this letter is going to challenge our outlook on life as a Christian is exactly this. Do we realize we are a temple of God's Holy Spirit? This world we live in and this body that we lug around as we go about it, it doesn't look like the kind of temple God would dwell in. And yet something that uh, struck me recently that I read was that immediately after death, our souls are then made perfect in holiness and received into the highest heavens where we behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of our bodies, which even in death continue united in Christ. They rest in their graves as in their beds, till at the last day they be again united with our souls. Being chosen, redeemed, and sealed in Christ is so deeply true, so deeply a reality and concrete that it's almost beyond comprehension. Both body and soul will never again know a moment apart from Christ. Now, we we may know that in theory, but what a hard time, what a hard thing to keep joyfully remembering it, this side of glory. As we sit here tired and aching, perhaps bored, struggling with our health in this grubby room with a floor that desperately needs replacing, do we really look like God's chosen church, the temple of his Holy Spirit, the body of Christ? When people reject us, mistreat us, laugh at us for being a Christian, does it feel we are sealed by God's Spirit United to Christ for all eternity? Well, yes, because that's exactly what we should expect in this world. In this world that was so underwhelmed by Christ that when they saw him, they brought his life and ministry to an underwhelming end to die on a hill somewhere. But won't they be overwhelmed one day when they see him ascended on his throne? Life this side of glory is tough. Later in the the letter, we'll see power and strength language peppered throughout the book. Language of love, walking in a new way, walking as children of light, imitating God, and we're even called to put on the full armor of God. This letter is going to be very helpful for anyone who, like myself, can often feel quite low tired, hurt by the underwhelming glory of being the chosen, predestined, adopted church living this side of glory. Brothers and sisters, we are the invisible church, but living in times that are visibly challenging, not very glory-looking, sometimes very ordinary, sometimes very hard. But let us never lose sight of how glorious is our Jesus Christ, how overwhelming is his gospel, our gospel of our salvation. We live in times when the church faces corruption from both outside and from within. But to use the words of Paul 
at the very end of the letter. Let us love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Because in Christ, God has united all things in him to the praise of his glory. Amen. Let us take a moment of silence just to receive and hold on to the words that God's Spirit has spoken to us today. Father, we, we thank you that even in this underwhelming life, in this underwhelming building, we can hold on to your overwhelming gospel given to us by the blood of your Son, sealed by your Spirit. We pray that this truth would change us and transform us. We pray that we would draw nearer and nearer to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.